Hello listeners, I am your host Ziad Matar and I'd like to welcome you all to the Wirelessly Yours podcast where I talk about everything tech, business and design. On each episode, I will take you through how cutting-edge technologies, emerging business models and the latest design trends are transforming our world and shaping the future. You will also get to hear from my guests about their opinions on global developments and the opportunities they create as well as their impact on society. Stay tuned for more. Wirelessly Yours. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Wirelessly Yours, uh, where we will talk this time about education, a space that is very dear to my heart, because as a child, I come from a family of teachers, and as a parent, it's always a hot topic, even more so in the last period. And joining me on this episode are three wonderful ladies, each with her own angle and perspective on the topic, to discuss the impact of COVID-19 on the sector, the resulting opportunities, and what the future holds for us. So without much further ado, let me welcome on stage to start with Maya, Maya Akiki, who is joining us all the way from San Diego, California, where she grew up and currently lives. And Maya is actually an undergraduate student at the University of Vermont, where she is majoring in secondary mathematics education with a minor in education for cultural and linguistic diversity. But in addition to being a student, she's also a teacher where she's interning as a teacher at a middle school and does a bit of tutoring on the side. Also joining us is Shamima, Shamima Parvin, who's the co-founder and CEO of Edutech, a leading provider of educational technologies in the region. Uh, Shamima didn't particularly enjoy school, as she told me, and um, found it very restrictive in its approach. So she always buys more books than she can read and enrolls for more courses than she can complete. And she's on the constant pursuit of learning exactly what I do. Shamima is also a fellow Thai Dubai Charter member and she co-chairs the Thai Women Initiative in the region. Welcome Shamima. And last but not least, Thea, Thea Mirvold, a founder and CEO of GetBe, a platform that facilitates one-on-one consulting. And I met Thea around seven, eight years ago when she pitched uh, to be admitted at IN5, the Dubai Internet City Innovation Center. At the time she had started Teach Me Now, uh, which became one of the largest and most, most successful online tutoring platform and ultimately evolved into GetB, which she is the CEO of today. So joining me uh, in giving all these wonderful ladies a warm round of virtual applause. Let's talk a little bit about uh, backgrounds and uh, you know get to know each other a little bit more. And by backgrounds, uh, I want, we wanted to talk both about the virtual background, but as well as the real background that is behind us. So uh, let's start with Maya. Tell us a little bit about about you and what's behind you. Hi everyone, my name is Maya Kiki and as Ziad said, I am from San Diego, California. I am currently a rising junior at the University of Vermont and I'm studying secondary mathematic education with a minor of education for cultural and linguistic diversity. So during quarantine, I've been cooking a ton, especially experimenting with vegetarian and vegan cuisine, as well as painting, as you can see from behind me. I have been also redoing my and decorating my childhood room as I've been spending a lot more time in it now, trying to create a positive environment that's both inspiring and motivating to me during this online time with minimal stuffed animals. And I'm super excited for this opportunity to learn and share my experiences. So thanks for having me. Shami, over to you to, to, to hear a little bit about you and, and your background. Thank you, Zia. Well, I'm super excited to be here as well, and uh, also very looking looking forward to hearing from Maya, the student perspective, so we'll know more about that. So, 
my virtual background as such is actually, I'm usually sitting down facing these bookcases, but the, today I decided to turn the tables around literally. So, well, I, like we were just talking earlier, this is probably what started a lot of conversation for me much ahead. So I was just looking through this book. This was in the early 2000, I think, or maybe even late 90s. So that's when Peter Sanjay started talking about, or many others started talking about how schools should change, remodel themselves and bring about a new form of education. And uh, here we are continuing to talk about the same thing. So uh, I look forward to hearing what uh, you all have to talk about as well and learning and sharing. Thank you. Thank you, Shamima. And uh, Thea, Thea, you have a very rich background and a very nice background behind you right now. You're dialing in from Norway, correct? Yes, I'm dialing in from WeWork Oslo here today, luckily a sunny day, and um, very excited to join again a global audience and, and panelists from California to UAE and representing Oslo today. Um, I myself am half Norwegian, half Arabic, so I'm born in Saudi Arabia, grew up there, and then in Norway, Greece, and Switzerland. So that has also shaped a lot of my global perspectives, but also my ambition to really create something positive for, but also from the Middle East. So that has been a big part of my personal thesis as well as to do something positive for the region and to have more global success stories also for and from the Middle East. Uh, my journey and background started uh, actually wanting to work for the United Nations and as cliche as it sounds, make the world a better place. And I realized very early on that through education and through learning and technology, uh, we could have much of a bigger impact that could scale in a much more efficient way. So my journey was really uh, sparked by being a teacher myself. I was a teacher for students with different types of disabilities. Uh, I was then building one of the first uh, sort of apps for high school students as a game-based app. It wasn't uh, the success of Angry Birds, but it was one of the first game-based apps at the time. Uh, this was in 2011. And then through that app, I got so many requests for teaching online. So I had students in Korea, Japan, Australia, you name it, all over the world. And that led me to start and build teachmenow.com. Uh, as you uh, mentioned kindly, we were one of the first global marketplaces for on-demand learning, connecting teachers and students truly all over the world. And I think that's where we first met also at IN5. It was just the inception at the time. And it's really empowering and inspiring to see how people have connected through the platform in so many different ways. And as you said as well, GetB is now the same engine empowering other learning initiatives, mentorship programs, and so on. So I'm excited to explore today and also learn from everyone as well here too. So thank you so much for organizing and hosting us today. Thank you, Thea, and welcome again. So uh, I'll talk a little bit about my background since people uh, have asked me about this uh, very nice painting a few times in the last uh, few weeks. So I decided to you know, talk about it and it's actually very timely. This is a painting, it's a copy of an original that is currently in uh, the Musée d'Orsay in Paris by an artist called Léon Belli. It was done in the uh, 19th century, I believe, and it depicts a caravan uh, on its way to the pilgrimage in Mecca. Uh, which is quite timely considering that, uh, you know, Hajj is coming uh, right around the corner in a couple of weeks and we don't know how it will look like uh, this year. What's always inspired me as a painting because it shows all this kind of people who are going in the same direction in a single uh, purpose. So that's my little story for today. And we jump into our first uh, section of, of the podcast, which I call the elephant in the Zoom. And, you know, everybody is talking about it these days, the impact of COVID-19 on everything. 
and uh, everyone. But let's talk specifically uh, about it uh, from the education perspective. And we start with Maya and your life experience as a student, as a teacher. You are in San Diego, your university is in Vermont, complete exact opposites uh, of uh, corners of the United States. So how did that work out? Yeah, so I got the, the big email during spring break that I was spending at my grandfather's in upstate New York. It basically stated, you need to grab all your stuff and leave campus. For how long? We had no idea. So pretty quickly, my read on the situation was that this is going to be a lot more serious than we were expecting. So I packed up my room and I flew out to San Diego, California, where I grew up. Because the timeline was so unknown, the initial educational experience was choppy, to say the least. Uh, some teachers definitely transitioned smoother than others. I mean, essentially, they were faced with the challenge of taking their in-person curriculum and squeezing it into this online mold. Although the teachers were doing their best, issues, a couple issues were posed for me. So first was logistically. They were holding these classes synchronously on this East Coast schedule, and I was obviously on the West Coast. So this meant I was waking up at 6 a.m. for my usual 9 a.m. class, which is obviously not ideal for a college student. So second was around collaboration. There were a number of assignments in the very beginning and activities that were planned to be collaborative. And unfortunately, many of them had to be modified or even canceled. I do have a particular appreciation for what my teachers were going through because at the same time I was a student, I was also tutoring and teaching. So on the tutoring side, I tutor Calc 1 and 2 on campus. And I wanted to maintain the same time as well as the same personal connection I shared with them on campus, regardless of time zone. So this meant video chats on Microsoft Teams. It started with me writing on my notebook and showing it to the camera every time a student had a question, which, you know, is fun. <laughs> but as I learned more about what my, I could do through Microsoft Teams, I would use my mouse to trace on this virtual whiteboard that they could all collaborate on. Um, on the teaching side, I was working at Hunt Middle School in Burlington, Vermont in the newcomer program. So this program offers classes to students that have recently moved to the US or have limited English proficiency. I was working in a math class before COVID hit. And we soon realized that the same synchronous collaborative learning experience wasn't going to be realistic for this class of middle schoolers. So we switched to this platform called Padlet and created interactive videos for our students instead of our normal lesson plans. So lots of changing, figuring out what works, what doesn't work, and yeah. In fact, yes, it was a very evolving landscape as we saw, uh, even from a parent perspective, I saw how the kids were, uh, first of all, uh, you know, different classes doing different things maybe. Uh, but very rapidly, I realized that uh, although I've been a very, uh, very uh, you know professional user of zoom for a couple of years already now my my 10 year old kid is already way ahead of me in terms of being a power user of the platform he teaches me tips and tricks and uh, i don't know if they teach they teach their teachers as well some good uh, good tips so but shamima you you have been working on 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 enabling you know schools and educational institutions to get uh, digital yet we see that we it feels like we all got caught by by surprise so uh, what was your experience on, on, on how, the, how, how your clients managed to you know, speed up and accelerate their, their leap into the digital future? 
so there's no universal approach and every country and each city is actually handled it differently and had their own policies. And some countries ended their school years yearly, so they had enough time to prepare. And sometimes due to the closing of the school years yearly ahead, key years like grades 10 and 12 are affected, the long-term related to university admissions and things like that. But I think overall, I think we have to give a big shout out to the students who I think coped far better than anybody else. And uh, I think uh, that shows that uh, maybe probably because they were digital natives is one thing, but also showed the resilience and grit in adapting to this new methods and this new environments, which gives me great comfort because that's what is required for the future, which is going to be volatile actually. So I think that's one way that has come out really well. And in terms of schools themselves, they got catapulted into this digital transformation space and many didn't see it coming. And uh, in higher education, there were already structural changes in place, like with the example of using flipped classroom uh, by sharing information with students ahead of time. And so which now has become the norm, which every institute have had to adapt and make it standardized. And uh, while this is happening, also every institution is also doing a lot of soul searching at their, at their internal processes are being examined more closely by the customers, by the students and parents, which now everything is being laid bare actually because parents are involved in a part of this learning process. They have the schools that have to demonstrate value. And uh, there's actually a new experience uh, for everybody because most of the time this has been hidden, this has been in the background. Now, this also combined with the financial pressures, the schools have had to really adapt considerably, which I think many of them have done a commendable job again. And parents have become deeply engaged in children's learning, opening up opportunities, I think, in the future for homeschooling, which is beginning to happen quite a bit. And uh, this, what the situation is also blurred the boundaries of learning with classes happening on kitchen counters and dining room tables, siblings helping each other, accessing online resources that were free, made available by some companies, but also being made available free by others. And students have also become more self-learners, trying to find more of these learning themselves. And I think this has actually created the lifelong learning um, emphasis that this is an important factor in them becoming lifelong learners. They don't have to wait to be taught. They can lead that learning themselves, which I think is a real positive thing that has come out of it. But let's also not forget, actually, we've, uh, we've also experienced that uh, even in uh, developed countries around the world, there are issues of equity and access to technologies that didn't exist in all homes. In many homes, students start to share their computer or laptops with their uh, brothers or sisters, or maybe even with their parents who are also trying to work. So that was a really challenging environment initially to be able to adapt with all of these changes. But I think what has really come out of this positively is that tech is part of our life. And like how in an adult world, we are trying to balance work and life, learning and school and home is all going to be blurred and become like one single element, which I think is the best thing I see in the whole this. That totally makes sense. And uh, it's good that you discussed also and uh, touched upon the fact that, you know, the disparity in connectivity and access to technology, which I know Taya has been working on, on various uh, solutions over various verticals, in, including, uh, you know, accessibility, even for, uh, uh, you know, certain uh, type of, uh, you know, uh, issues that uh, one might have. So maybe you want to talk about that, Taya, a little bit and uh, about yeah. Teach Me Now. 
Yes, no, great points. Uh, and I just want to echo and emphasize what everyone else has said as well. And I think a great shout out goes out to all the teachers who had to rapidly adapt to everything too. Um, on the topic of accessibility, I've seen some great examples in Eastern Europe actually where uh, nationalized TV channels have started broadcasting lessons for those who don't have access to internet, but at least they might have access to TV. So I think also at a governmental level, right, we're also seeing governments shifting their approach to how can we make learning continuously accessible? How can we make technology infrastructure accessible to those who don't have access? Uh, we've even been approached by some UN agencies in terms of infrastructure and learning access. So I think at, a, at all levels and all stakeholders in society, be it from parents, be it from corporates also supporting working from home and learning from home, and also at a governmental level, I think we're seeing a big shift and a big understanding of the new normal or the new norm that we're seeing. Um, that being said, I definitely think uh, something was touched upon which was quite interesting about digitally native. And you also mentioned your kids being super users of technology. And I think this is a very interesting parallel that maybe um, the younger generations are seeing is that you know the future and the work of tomorrow not that education is only for work, but the world of tomorrow is digitally native. So the way that we learn, the way that we interact, I mean, I was, I was reflecting about this earlier as well. Like, I don't think that technology can replace everything from the school. I, I really think there's still a lot of elements that are very beneficial physically, right? Like the social element or presenting in class or debating in class. But we're even seeing events going virtual. Like today we have a, a virtual event, right? So being able to present virtually is now a new skill that wasn't there before. So I think definitely there is a shift um, going back to this word digital native about also preparing people for the future of work, which will be more and more digital as well. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see how a very traditional, very heavy industry is adapting. But it's also very interesting to see how governments are adapting to new regulation and being open to technology, which there was a lot of resistance to before. But having this option and, and being more open uh, towards it, I think is, is very important for the future success uh, for every stakeholder involved. And from the, from the Teach Me Now perspective, uh, of course, suddenly, you know, it became, uh, you know, a necessity maybe to, to, to engage in uh, digital or online tutoring versus regular tutoring. Uh, how did yeah. you experience that? Uh, and how did you cope maybe with the increased pressure there? Yeah, definitely. And, and Maya, I would love to, to have you test out our software as well uh, from a collaboration perspective. But uh, what was very interesting for us, uh, even through GetB, is we're seeing a lot of online learning initiatives, a lot of mentorship, as someone mentioned, also lifelong learning from a corporate perspective. I think the need for support and personalization and, and connecting on a personal level, because you're having all of these MOOCs or broadcasts, but we're missing that human touch, right? That personal connection. So how can we collaborate? How can we connect? And I think this was really key during COVID is, is still having that human element. So for us, we've seen an, uh, a dramatic increase in growth. So I'm very fortunate that we're growing during this time, but I think it just shows you the need for personalized learning at scale and, and how to have that human collaboration without missing that personalized touch is very much key, be it in uh, academic learning, but also professional learning and mentorship as well. Uh, thanks, uh, Thea. And, uh, you know, every, you know, crisis brings opportunities. Uh, 
and, and maybe threats and uh, in, in what we're calling now the, this uh, new business unusual. Uh, I'd like to turn to Shamima and see what do you see uh, in terms of technologies that can uh, you know, help us accelerate in this new direction and resolve some of the issues that, uh, that were touched upon by Thea and Maya, particularly the human side, because tech is here also to help us not only to create issues, right? So uh, over to you, Shamim. Absolutely. Um, like, like Thea said, digital learning is here to stay. First of all, this pandemic is not going away really soon. And uh, there might be others coming on the way, either another pandemic or maybe a climate change related disruption. So digital is what will give us continuity in learning, working, living, and collaborating as well. While we may go back to certain ways of doing things, more face-to-face, uh, -face, which is also required. Firstly, in the learning environment, um, well, it, this may not be a hottest new technology. These are learning platforms. They've been around for quite a long time. But we now realize that these platforms support new learning models, not the traditional instructional models, which have been on the decline for a while, but more for active learning environments, for unifying student learning, synchronous or asynchronous collaboration, whether using video or otherwise, using even online assessments and accessing the learning analytics of students as well. So that has become a critical technology within institutions. Now, these have been prevalent in higher education, but not so much in K-12. And I think this is one thing that I think people have realized that is necessary. Even when we go back to school, blended learning is the model that is going to continue. Uh, it's ne we're never going back to the old normal, right? That's what we've all begun to understood now. And then engaging interactive content for blended learning is as much as important. Uh, and here comes the hot new technology. And does yeah, you reference the oncoming 5G in your article? And uh, so that kind of underlying technologies would enable use of things like online virtual labs and online simulations, which, for example, on the light of events, what happened a couple of days back in UAE's successful mission to Mars yesterday, or the focus that we need to have in developing skills in biotechnology or biomedical. Remember, the pandemic is still going, right? And uh, we need to continue our emphasis on STEM or STEAM education. Now, STEM education or even occasional education is more a hands-on practical experiential learning. Now, in a virtual environment, what of offers is the virtual science lab and simulation provides an immersive learning experience that can still build skills when the students can't access the physical labs or centers as such. So that is actually going to be uh, normal. And even when kids go back to school, students go back to school, this can still become more usable because not everybody gets equal access to the labs. And if we need to build the STEM skills, more practical experience is what's required. Lastly, cloud technologies. We can increase capacity, ensure performance anytime, anywhere. We wouldn't have been able to do what we did in the last few months without cloud technology. So that I think is going to be um, quite considerable. And I think I'm going to be a little bit controversial over here in saying that VR has probably let us down during this time. Um, while it is still great for games, but for education, really, it hasn't really come in handy at this time because we're all stuck at home. And first of all, there is no standardization in hardware and content, at least in education, not so much in games, but education content is still very passive. 
uh, it's not as engaging and interactive. And until more haptic kind of technologies come in play where VR can become more interactive and learning can take place, that is also affordable cost as well as another important aspect, which can get access to all across all classrooms. It will only be a play for those that can afford it. And uh, so, so even when students are back in class, there's going to be concerns about safety as disinfection with the glasses and things like that. When students use it, usage will take more time. So these could be some of the most important aspects, the critical ones to ensure that continuity in education are there. Uh, it's true about uh, VR, definitely. It, it feels like uh, uh, that is one of the other elephants in the Zoom because it was poised to you know, solve most of these problems. And I was actually quite, uh, uh, pleased when I tested um, uh, Magic Leap in, in back in October in uh, the Future Investment Initiative Summit in Saudi Arabia. And although, uh, it, although it provides a certain lo-fi experience, it's actually quite immersive and would have been perfect, for instance, for something like, uh, you know, a Teach Me Now environment, uh, Thea. Uh, hopefully, you know, the, the new CEO of uh, Magic Leap, which is a wonderful lady called Peggy Johnson, uh, who happened to be also an executive at Qualcomm when I worked there, uh, maybe can bring this uh, forward into something that we will all be using uh, very soon. But I jump to to Thea and 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 you know from technology talk about business model and you know education model. And now that uh, you know uh, Teach Me Now became mainstream or online tutoring becomes mainstream, do you think that it is going to converge with the traditional education model or is it going to disrupt it and and you know diverge away from it and maybe even take people away from schools and into online tutoring models? I think the need for personalized learning is definitely there, uh, even more than before, just because of the disruption that's happening in the traditional systems. But I don't see tutoring replacing traditional educational systems because we still need ways to uh, to go through, you know, certifications or, or to qualify and, and have some some form of standardization, right? Be it through uh, alternative ways to do exams or testing or so on. So I think there will be much more of an openness from a government level to collaborate with personalized learning, mentorship and tutoring. And I think there is a shift in perspective or understanding of what tutoring is because before tutoring was also a gray zone where people, it, it was very often misunderstood, right? Tutoring in a way has this perception where all oh, the teachers aren't doing a good enough job, so I need a tutor. Whereas for some people, you might be amazing at languages, but you might naturally not be so adept to math or science. So it, it's more of a complement rather than a substitute. But I think the, the concept of personalized learning or mentorship uh, is definitely there and we're seeing a lot of, as I said before about stakeholders, a lot of uh, openness and willingness to collaborate from a governmental or ministerial level, which I think is quite important. So going back to that, I think you'll see more collaboration bef before, which was more, let's say, competitive. I think there will be more collaboration between the larger educational institutes as well as the other stakeholders that are government to collaborate with new technology and to support learners throughout their journey, but also continuous learning. Because I think what we've learned and seen throughout this experience is the need for continuous adaptability, continuous learning, and that personalized approach as well to complement the, uh, the new normal uh, or the new sort of ways of, you know, education and doing business and so on. So I think that partnership and that collaboration is something that we'll see more of moving forward. 
Thanks. Yeah, so you see a, a more uh, complementary approach and, uh, you know, putting together multiple pieces of the puzzle. And but Maya, from your perspective, uh, do you think, you know, uh, as things get back to, to normal uh, or this business unusual status that we're going through, what what are the good things that we have picked up uh, in, in that in that forced you know online period, and what are some of the things that we should maybe leave behind and not uh, try to avoid uh, getting back into? Yeah, I mean, I think just in the past three months, I've seen a tremendous amount of change. I mean, the innovation, the ideas that have come out of this are valuable. Think of any of these things being talked about ten years ago. I can't really imagine that. Um, the University of Vermont, where I attend, is actually offering an on an at-home option as well as an in-person option for the fall. Uh, this at-home option was born out of necessity and would have never happened before. This pandemic, I feel, has really forced us to look into and analyze the current education system and shortcomings have certainly shown. Now that technologies have created this more flexible and accessible learning environment, I mean, I don't believe anyone will want to go back to this old traditional way. One thing I think we definitely need to keep, and I think Thea talked about it earlier, is this personal connection that develops as a result of face-to-face interactions. I believe that this is truly irreplaceable and one of the most important parts of education. I mean, when I think back on my middle school, high school, college life, I see that some of the most important things that I've learned have been through those relationships with my classmates and teachers. I feel like so often education is thought of as simply teaching a subject matter, teaching math, teaching English, when in reality, a lot of the teaching comes from these valuable social interactions that often happen spontaneously when people are just together. Something I think that is long overdue and changing is the emphasis on synchronous only learning. Technology now has the ability not over will not only improve synchronous learning, but also asynchronous learning. An example of this would be content on demand, such as Khan Academy, which I think should stay and only improve. All right, thanks, Maya. Um, I'd like to open the floor for the audience for an interim Q&A session. Uh, you know, we have some nice people who have been listening to us and uh, maybe they have some questions. And while they type, type their questions in the Q&A box, uh, we have prepped a few questions also from each other to each other. So uh, first question is actually to you, Maya. And in your experience, where did you see that technology actually became unhelpful in this online learning environment? I think often technology, everyone wants to use this new technology. They're trying to advance it so much. And I think sometimes we go too far into technology only, only having discussions through online sources, only talking to each other through a screen when we can use, I don't know, video chats, more expressive things, things like AI that can be used to help us not complicate things more for us. I also think that it's been interesting to see how the younger generation, there's kind of this gap between students teaching the teachers more than the teachers are kind of catching up to this new technology trends. All right, thanks, thanks Maya. And Thea, from your perspective, what, what do you feel are actually the, the practices that are in the traditional educational model that make it necessary really to access tutoring uh, online and, and personal education support? Going back to what Maya said, I think 
I, I really don't believe that technology can replace a personal connection. At the end of the day, we can build as, as an advanced AI as we want or, or chatbots or whatever, but it's those human moments, that spark, that, that connection when you really see those light bulb moments or those aha moments. Um, as a teacher myself or for students with learning disabilities, having those moments and really understanding what drives them emotionally or what makes them proud or, or having those sparks, I mean, that was something that I will never forget that feeling right it's as a teacher that drives you but also as a student I'm sure we all have those experiences when we remember oh I got it you know and I think that mastery and that accomplishment that that goes back to a very fundamental human connection so I think going back to the traditional educational system it's how do we scale that personalized experience how do we scale those human connections and how do we make sure that we don't replace them or ignore them because at the end of the day if we really reflect from a philosophical point of view, going back to sort of the human nature of everything, it's really that personalized human connection that I think makes a big difference. So again, I don't believe tutoring or technology will replace education, but I think education will adapt to become more personalized. And also because of technology, we can scale those human connections in a different way that we couldn't do before. Um, so I definitely see a lot of change and openness and willingness that I hadn't seen before because I've been in this space for a long time and it wasn't something that was widely accepted in the educational community. Um, it was very much looked down upon but I see now that there is a big shift and an openness and an embrace to say okay this is happening uh, we need to support our students and uh, we need to also support our teachers. How can we make this a better experience for everyone? And just to support that as well, um, an interesting trend that can maybe spark another uh, question for the panelists is, you know, uh, Cambridge and Oxford and a lot of these other Ivy League schools uh, have also announced that, you know, everything is going online. So if we look at higher education, um, a lot of the value proposition for these Ivy League schools has also been being on campus and the social network. And again, the human connections that you make on campus. So it'll be very interesting. And I'm very interested in all of your thoughts on, on that. Like what is, what is the value proposition and also the, the price proposition of, you know, Harvard or Cambridge uh, fully going online and not being able to access campus. How will that change the dynamics? That's definitely a very good uh, question and, uh, and maybe even a panel by itself uh, very soon that we can do. Uh, but, you know, a question to Shamima as well. Uh, you said that you, you try to learn continuously and you attend, uh, you try to enroll in a lot of online courses already before uh, the pandemic. Uh, restrictions and and that doesn't work and and that's not a unique situation i know for myself and many other people that model was not really working uh, very well in terms of completion and re-enrollment uh, when it comes to the MOOCs and similar uh, online platforms uh, do you feel that this is going to change now and will this change be permanent or are we talking about uh, you know some habits that we are doing right now because we are forced to do uh, things in a certain way and then maybe in six months, you know, one year, whenever, uh, you know, uh, the solution is found, uh, then we're all back together, then, you know, we'll go back to a very 
uh, you know, very, very much older model uh, when it comes to online learning? Well, that's a very good question. And it also relates to what exactly Tia said right now as to why would we pay $50,000 a year to Harvard if we're going to just be in an online course in front of our computer. And uh, that's very similar to the experience of going online and registering in so many courses, but uh, not completing them is mainly because of the way of the structures of the programs itself and the engagement and also how are the facilitators the teachers or a teacher to teach a student or the student to student engagements are happening which is one of the important aspects in education which is what maya highlighted as well is that we remember learning experiences as what happened between people whether it's through a teacher or through a, a student not via technology as such that's what is stays with us uh, much more longer so yeah so that's one of the reasons why maybe some of them that i don't end not just me many of them drop out of those more courses on but i have gone ahead and completed many of them most successfully because of the way that they have structured and because of the constant engagement and if i if i don't send out a note or if i don't reply there's someone asking me if everything is all right if there's any help required just a nudge a nudge just sometimes is required for us to help us move forward and do the completions that is there a nudge from a uh, from a team member or from a teacher as such so those are the things that helps through the collaboration and the communication and i think technology can actually enable communication because we are in a situation that we cannot see face to face doesn't have to restrict us because now during this pandemic we become more closer to family members who are more further apart because we are doing more and more family calls on zoom which we never did before so why cannot we bring that elements as well they are again social elements so we can make learning more social using technology don't have to wait for that to happen in a classroom and as human beings we are very resilient we find new ways we innovate when there is a necessity and this is a time of necessity and i think we have innovated with what was available to us with technology and i think we can continue to do that and i think those are the, that's why selecting the right technology and having the teachers and the students prepared in order to be able to use that is going to be so important as well very good thank you thank you shamima uh, that's very true um we have some more questions coming in from the audience so i'll i'll uh, i'll continue with that uh, stream so to maya you know a question from dina uh, did you prefer the synchronous or the asynchronous sessions and why yeah i think it definitely there's definitely a benefit to the synchronous learning where you have this routine it keeps you motivated but also as i said time zone is definitely something i struggled with and I think for some classes, I definitely preferred having the same time and knowing what was expected of me at those times. And some classes I preferred more, here's all the assignments for the week and finish them whenever you want. Also, I think different classes worked a lot better online versus in person, which I think is interesting. Some of my math classes that were simply just lectures and online things, made it much more accessible for students to, if I miss a lecture, it's there online. And some classes that were a little bit of a struggle were my education classes because how there's this little bit of a contradiction where I'm learning how to teach in person, but I'm learning it through online and I'm learning, and then I'm also teaching online, but in the future, which one am I picking? I don't know. So yeah, it's definitely a big confused. Interesting, very interesting. And uh, 
there's a question actually from Janine also. Uh, you know, Thea, you can pick it up, but also Maya and Shamir, maybe you have uh, some good answers. Uh, one of the biggest impediments to working uh, or learning from home is focus or lack thereof. Uh, and we are already anyway in moving into a space uh, or a time where you know we we had very short attention spans but uh, as we learn more autonomously and asynchronously how can we get organized and and you know re kind of get back you know get hold of this focus and our our attention and how is technology uh, working uh, to make that uh, more possible hey i would like to take it sure i think that's a great question um, going back to what we said earlier, I think in a way being digitally native helps because we're used to being online where it's less of a distraction and more of a natural place where the younger generations live. Um, but that being said, I think it is actually preparing students and it was a very interesting point from Maya uh, saying, do I teach online or do I teach offline? Because at the end of the day, a lot of the future of work is going to be remote or online. So in a way, uh, this way of learning is also indirectly preparing students for the future of work by default right so i think that that's a very interesting parallel which will help us stay motivated when we work from home too i'm not sure if there's any direct technology that i'm aware of that helps you with focus from home please share if anyone else knows i would love to know too um, but going back to the fundamental point of uh, why you're doing what you're doing and connecting on a personal level i think is super key because even us as a team or a small dynamic team but having those human interactions and having those personalized connections those one-on-ones those uh, motivational side of it again philosophically speaking from a human perspective i think is super key right so making sure that you you know why you're doing what you're doing what the purpose is or the goal is but also again having those human sides because you're accountable to someone else it's not just as uh, somebody else mentioned before with MOOCs it's not just about you know watching videos and maybe you'll complete the course or not but that nudge uh, or that personalized connection whether it's from a teammate or whether it's from a fellow student or a group that's collaborating together i think that's really important so finding ways to um, integrate the human element into a digital world i think again will be fundamental but open to any suggestions on technology because i'd love to learn from you as well we go to our technologist samima so what is yes. installed well, I also don't know about the technology, but I do turn off one technology, the social media, when I want to concentrate. So that's a helpful one. But, um, well, I can give an example in terms of how we did work from home, which is also very similar. While we kept going towards the cookies in the kitchen as a distraction, but also one of the things that kept us in time is actually the frequent team meetings online. Like what Tia just mentioned, you need that group mechanism to come into play, which happens in a classroom to be able to bring that online as well, is to have a team call in the morning, maybe one in the afternoon with another team. So we are constantly in, in, uh, involving in a number of different teamwork as such, though further apart, but that keeps us on task also. Because like what Tia said, we're responsible for each other whether in an education environment or in a work environment where team working is a very integral part of success. So that helps in order to be able to achieve the tasks as well. But I haven't found one to stay away from the cookies at home though. 
That's very good. Um, uh, it's interesting because, you know, we talk about all these nudges that we need, you know, and this human interaction. And in fact, the, the key things that are maybe distracting us, which are the, probably the social media and other electronic uh, methods to, of doing other things than learning around us, have perfected the model of nudging us and keeping our attention on them. So we, we should learn from that and adapt more uh, into our own educational systems. But Maya, before we move to the next questions, any tips, you know, for students or teachers on that particular topic, you know, like, you know, your, your secret sauce? I definitely think silencing the phone is a, only does good things. I also know of a website, I'm not sure what it's called, but you can, log into your gmail i think and it locks everything so you can't go on to youtube etc whatever else it's your guilty pleasure so i i haven't used that but i think it could be a positive thing i also have a question for the other panelists maybe this question kind of brought up for me is that it kind of a clear divide is being shown between the motivated students and these unmotivated students i think it also is in classrooms that, so the classroom I teach back in Vermont is for students that recently moved to the US whose parents often don't speak English, who are living in foster homes with 30 other children. How can we make things more accessible? How can we make resources more available for them? Are there avenues that they can look to, to help? There's this great website, so yeah, uh, sorry, just, I just wanted to add, um, it's a great question because my background has also been teaching uh, students with different learning disabilities. And I taught in the beginning some of the most unmotivated students uh, where the teacher literally gave up and said, feel free to like not show up to your exams because you're going to fail anyway. Uh, so that was the sort of status that they had. Um, but again, it's really, I, I really emphasize the human connection because it goes back to what motivates them. And what is their why? And I know we talk about this in the business and the startup world, but it's so fundamental to our core. And one of my students, she loved football and I was teaching her about economics and she had ADD, dyslexia and a lot of other things. And I made everything I could in economics, not that I'm a football expert, about football and, and really gamifying the concept, going back to what she really was passionate about. She graduated with way above average scores and went on to study economics. So for me, this was like a personal win. So that's what I'm saying. I think personalized learning and going back to, okay, what drives someone? What are they passionate about? And how can you make it related to them? I think is fundamentally important uh, in those situations. There are some other amazing websites. I think Microsoft even has a database of free and gamified apps and content and these things. I'll, I'll find the name and share it with everyone after. But there are some amazing resources for teachers out there too. But I, I literally did a very low tech solution, pen and paper at the time, uh, and drew up and created physical games uh, and also gamified content in the way that I was teaching. Uh, relating it again to football so so there you go that that's just one uh, very personal example for me very good yes that that makes a lot of sense gamification and you know maintaining that uh, interest so, you know human interest of personalized kind of interest another uh, very good question uh, from an anonymous attendee uh, and another elephant in the zoom uh, while distance learning can solve parts of the problem but what about distance examinations and exams how are we dealing with this today? And is the traditional way of doing exams and assessments what is going to survive in an online and digital future? Who'd like to take a stab at this one? I could. Okay, go ahead, Jamila. 
<laughs> well, one is I feel that examinations is another aspect of education that has to change. Um, we are still testing for a very old model, which is based on knowing facts and figures, which is just not relevant anymore. Um, but in the traditional uh, model as it currently exists, there are mechanisms available with e-proctoring. But let me say one thing. There is never a foolproof way for monitoring examinations. Students are very, very good at finding ways to be able to hack whatever they want to. But e-proctoring is probably one of the best solutions that uh, we have found and implemented as well to be able to ensure that examinations can be taken online, where there can be low fidelity to high fidelity where 360 degree videos and uh, all kind of tracking mechanisms can be monitored also. And a lot of uh, um, certification bodies do that also currently when they have to go into a center to take an examination. Well, there is a monitor in place, but it could also be that they require uh, virtual monitoring. So that's one way to be able to take currently as examinations are taken. I just want to add one point there. I completely agree. And I think if a lot of things are going online, there's a lot more data points we can collect about students in terms of how they're progressing with content, interactive content, AI and databases and data that we can get on the back end of this too, right? So I think this is also a social learning experiment where we're collecting so much more data on learning, learning outcomes and progress that maybe we can automatically score people or or understand their level in a different way than just doing an exam where everything is writing on that hour or 30 minutes or whatever it is. I mean, never in my career have I sat in a room for 30 minutes regurgitating facts and that was a measurement of my success. So I think we are, we're scoring and evaluating students in a way that has no correlation to what the, the real world, let's say, requires of you. So I think it's very important that we also adapt the way that we score or, or help students, because why, why are we having these exams? It's also to help students understand their level and what they can do to improve. But I don't necessarily think everyone performs well in an exam situation just because that's not how we're wired or how we're built. So I think now with all this data that we're collecting, there's so much more that we can do. And I think it will be very interesting to see what companies and tech companies can actually build learning, uh, scoring, evaluation metrics or ways that will, that will potentially replace uh, traditional exams. Yeah. Maya, do you see this actually getting embedded in, in what we are evolving with from the theoretical side of education? Yeah, so I had had a mix of ways of taking tests. I took tests videotaped. I also took them no time and do whatever you want basically with them. So I think definitely this has forced us to relook at how we assess students at the end of the year, at the end of a unit. I think teachers are realizing now, oh, if I give a student a test, they can just Google everything. Well, maybe we can move towards more proficiency-based learning, not just assessment-based learning and a student could do a project or show, do a video, things like that, I feel like are much more relevant to the real world experiences that they'll deal with in the future. If Thanks I can say something, uh, yes, there's sir. something called a non-Googleable answers. That is the kind of test that students should be given is that they have to do something that they can't find the answers. It has to come from within. So project-based learning is a really good example of how they can be assessed because it's so different for every student. 
That's very good. And speaking of non-Googleable answers, as we are coming very close to the end of the session, I have a very non-Googleable question for each one of you. Uh, I was reading this article by Mark Andreessen, and he brought up the fact that uh, he thinks that if uh, you know a time traveler comes from the 18th century and walks into a university of a school today, wouldn't really be able to make a you know a, you know make sense of any difference compared to what was happening before so in your opinion if we travel to the future 50 years or 100 years from now what are we going to see what is the future of edu education in 50 years two minutes each who would like to start uh, i could right now after what we have gone through in this past few months i'm wary of making predictions because you know we there have been predictions of 2020 of flying cars and you know all that kind of a futuristic scenarios but here we are stuck at home my car is in mood for the past four months and we can't even get on an airplane but still um i could see that education right now we are at a turning point that we have to change now, how it looks like 50 years is way past. We could, I don't think we, we could even go there as such. But um, in the near future or in the near term as such, one of the aspects is that the models will change. Schools as such don't have to be necessarily physical. They can be both physical and digital at the same time. They can be a hybrid model of maybe learning three days in a week at home and two days in a week in school. Imagine the amount of space utilization that they can have, which can bring down the cost of education as well, because that is another big aspect that I think we need to look at if we need to reach the masses of education and also the skills that are changing continuously. If we need to bring everybody up to the new skills levels we need to be able to ensure that we are able to reach more students so that model i would think would change and obviously digital is going to play a huge important role in it whether we are prepared for it or not that is the way that students would want to learn and we would have to be there so i'll give the rest of them a chance thank you Shamil. uh Taya, maybe you're next yep so it's a very good question. I think if you step into the classroom of the future, it won't be in a traditional campus, as we said, it will be at the comfort of your home. And I think ultimately, I mean, there are three, three sort of underlying trends here. One, I know this is very controversial and very new, but I mean, Musk is talking about downloading information to your brain. So, so maybe the concept of learning will be a completely different one because you'll download whatever necessary information you need, but you might be learning other skills. Who knows? Uh, that might be one. Uh, as uh, mentioned, I don't want to make any predictions because who, who knows what's going to happen. But I definitely think how we learn and why we learn will be different because as somebody mentioned about Google, yes, you can Google a lot of information today. But the purpose of information and learning today isn't about remembering facts. I think it's more about analyzing where we're getting those facts from and making decisions based on that information because now we have so much data and information that we didn't have access to before but it's about understanding analyzing and synthesizing that information and making that actionable so i think it will be different skill sets than what we've seen before which is more like fact-based or regurgitating information if that makes sense because we now need to think of how can we be different from computers how can we be different from automation that will be taking away a lot of other jobs right but again a lot of new jobs are being created so with a positive spin i don't want to be negative that jobs are going away but i think again there are a lot of opportunities that are being created that we're not necessarily seeing yet right and then the third thing is i think fundamentally employers and governments need to recognize um sort of 
alternative education as not necessarily going to Harvard or Oxford or having those traditional certificates, but micro learning. Because today, if you're learning marketing and you're doing a three-year course, by the time you've graduated, what you've learned is already outdated, right? Because with, with tech, things are changing all the time. Even if you're learning how to code, it's outdated by the time that you graduate. So micro learning, shorter content, shorter courses that are specific, but also the need for continuous learning. I think both employers and governments will recognize the need for this moving forward. So we're going to see a shift in especially higher learning and continuous learning as well. Thanks, Thea. Maya, last but not least. Awesome. All right. So first of all, I'm very excited about the future. I mean, I am majoring in secondary mathematic education, so I hope to be teaching high school in just a few years. And I want to be able to use technology to make math exciting and relevant for students. Math has this capability to not only be practical and analytical, but also expressive and creative. I also have this minor in education for cultural and linguistic diversity. I really, seeing, I really see technology being able to reach these students who have been left behind by some of these more traditional methods. I think the trend towards remote learning and technologies to support that are here to stay. And I think that it's going to be important to develop and improve those because they can allow for more like mobile and inclusive learning environments. Siad, I, I think you wrote it best when you said, technology is here to help me grow, not slow me down. This can be ensured by obviously testing, debugging things, but as well as better partnerships between the world of technology and the world of education. Um, I'm very interested in how things like artificial intelligence can help personalize this ed tech world. I also see things like virtual textbooks where you hover over a word and a definition comes up or virtual reality experiences where you're in a history classroom and you're learning about France, and then you put goggles on and you're in France, you're feeling, you're touching, you're seeing France. I think those could all be very enriching additions. I also think something like gaming could also be used very effectively in the future. I think now it's this kind of additive, once you finish your assignments, then you can game. But what if we made the assignments gaming? I think if we made them more educationally sound, educationally backed, then they could be interactive with students and personalized. And eventually all of these things combined can be used to complement this in-person experience. I think education is constantly changing and evolving. And this pandemic has really jump-started this new era of education that really excites me and makes me happy that I can be a part of it. Amazing. Thanks a lot, uh, ladies. This was really, really very exciting and interesting for me. I think even from the conclusions, we see that there are various possibilities, whether we will actually walk into a classroom physically or into a living room or maybe into a classroom in Fortnite or Minecraft or wherever the kids are playing. Uh, it's a world of uh, possibility. It's uh, going to be a very unusual future, but we are all going to navigate it and make the best out of it. I thank you again for being with us today. I thank the members of the audience and our listeners. And sincerely hope you enjoyed these exciting conversations and insights. For those of you who didn't get a chance also to, to contact or ask questions, feel free to communicate with, uh, uh, with our guests uh, online through their social media uh, channels. Feel free to send me also any questions, more suggestions, future topics, and uh, look forward to tackling new and interesting subjects in our future episodes. So final round of applause for Maya, Shamima, and Thea. Thank you very much and uh, look forward to catching up soon.